Today we'll be discussing the career of actor and comedian Martin Short, and we'll be discussing colonoscopies. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asadoja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be discussing the career of actor and comedian Martin Short in response to an article that recently appeared in Slate magazine. And then what's the connection between Martin Short and colonoscopies? We'll discuss that in our second half. Cliffhanger. <laughs> Okay, Ali, let's get started right away. want to talk about Martin Short and this this article that appeared in Slate magazine. Ugh. I double your ugh. It's a bit of a lame article, but we'll talk about that in- Bit of a lame? Dude, please. That's an understatement? Yeah, God, yes. Okay. Let's talk a bit about Martin Short, the actor, comedian, legend- uh, we'll talk a bit about his background, and then we can get into this article and our thoughts on it and him. Martin Short, Ali, was born in Hamilton, Ontario, Steeltown. The hammer, best thing to come out of the hammer, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. He was the youngest of five children. His mother was a concert mistress of the Hamilton Symphony Orchestra. Do you know what a concert mistress is, Ali? I had to look that no, up. No, but I do know that you're not being a sexist on purpose. That's what they were called. That's what they're called. Correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody who's into concerts and orchestras, etc., they are the first chair violin, I believe. So it's like the next most important person in the orchestra after the conductor from right so it's either the concert master or the first chair or the leader in the uk they call them the leader okay, in the uk yeah. so there we go so yeah which are you know gender neutral terms first chair and leader yeah probably better yes exactly well anyway that's what she went by back in the days and his dad was an executive with stalco stalco is a huge or the huge Canadian steel company based in Hamilton. Hamilton, for those of you who don't My know. My enemy, actually, because I worked with DeFasco. Oh, you did? For four months on a work term, and I hated it. So it's not really my enemy. I just made that up for fun. Yeah. But one of the big steel, you know, Hamilton is a working class town known as a, a steel town, similar to, you know, the, some of the big steel towns in the U.S. So like Pittsburgh, for example. So yeah, so it's a big, big industry there. And so... He, very sad, actually. Do you know his brother, I think, died when Martin Short was about 12? And then both his parents, I think by about age 20, he lost both his parents. One to uh, stroke and one to cancer, I believe. So really, I did know that, and I'm going to bring that up again in a few minutes for another reason. But yeah. Okay, for sure. He went to McMaster University. Guess who else, guys, went to McMaster University? Right here. Yes. Ali Hassan. That's right, exactly. Barely, barely squeaked by, but I did it. Martin Short, and we'll go over some interesting trivia about Martin Short in a second, but one piece of trivia, he graduated with a degree in social work. Very interesting. After that, in 72, he was in a Toronto production of Godspell. I'm not sure how he got involved in that because he's a social worker, but he met a bunch of people there who everybody knows, 
Victor Garber, Gilda Radner, Eugene Levy, Dave Thomas, Andrew Martin. And Musical director was? Yeah, Paul Schaefer. Yeah, so. Amazing. I mean, know. this is really like a crazy, yeah. crazy crew of Canadians here. I and mean, this is amazing. And then I think, you know, obviously those guys like Dave Thomas, Eugene Levy, they kind of pushed him more towards comedy. And then, of course, Second City, SCTV, Second City Television, which was huge. And then afterwards, you know, Saturday Night Live and then everything else he did afterwards. That's kind of his his brief background. Ali, I thought we would maybe, again, as we people know who listen to our podcast, we try to not necessarily go through you know, his career in chronological order. Let's maybe, do you have any interesting pieces of trivia you want to mention from what you've read about him? We'll go through our favorite characters in a sec, but. I actually do have something to mention. So one of the greatest things that you can get from Martin Short is by listening to his interviews. Normally they're on the shorter side, they're television interviews, but if you can find like a podcast interview with Martin Short, It's really like, it is entertainment for all the senses. I mean, it is really something. You get a feel for how quick-witted he is. You get a feel for how he can jab people and dismantle them, jokingly, obviously, Mm -hmm, you know, in in mm -hmm. good fun. You get a good feel for how hard he's worked, his low times, his high times. And also you get a feel for, depending on what you're listening to, and I heard this on Smartless, a podcast which we reference from time to time here, I think that's a something you should listen to. I don't know. Did you catch that, Asif? The that smart episode? listen, Martin no, Short. No, no. So he talks about, you know, and I think it's Will Arnett who brings this up and says, Hey, you have this like thing, this like categories, these nine categories. Can you talk about that? So basically, Martin Short goes on to talk about this thing that he he started this when he was in his 30s and he felt like his career might be over. You know, Saturday Night Live had happened, a few other things had happened, and then nothing was going on for him. I think it was like a few years in a row where he was just not getting anything. His, his, uh, I think it was three years of employment as an actor, or at least consistent employment. It was dried up. It was at a time where he thought his career was going to take off. And he said, okay, he, he had this experience where he was like, I'm in incredibly frustrating state of limbo. My career is not in my hands. And he, he said that, you know, he would go into the subway and every time the doors would close in the subway, it felt like that was his career closing more doors, you know, metaphorical doors closing against him. So he was kind of losing it a little bit. And what he did is he developed this self-evaluation system and they're called the nine categories. Right before this podcast, I was like, I wrote this down and made a binder of this. I was so inspired never used it. And I, and not only that, can't even find the binder. I had 20 minutes before this podcast. I couldn't find it. I was like, no, I'm going to go look for it again a second time. Still couldn't find it. More proof that I'm nothing like Martin Short and he's such a gem of a human being. So the nine categories are as follows. Number one is yourself, okay? Your, your own personal health, safety. It's category two, immediate family. Category three, original family, people you grew up with. Uh, immediate family, meaning your spouse and children. Original friend. Number four is friends. Number five is money. Number six is career. Number seven is creativity. Eight is discipline. Nine is lifestyle. And we'll include a link to this in our show notes. And basically every year he would sit down and work through each category, take an inventory of his life. What is he doing well? What is he not doing well? What does he need to work on? And I think from a year it went to even more often than that. And it's a book like he pulls it out when friends are over to show them. He's very open about this. 
And his idea was, rather than get emotional about stuff he can't understand, why not approach life logically and take control of certain things that are not going a certain well? And he's had a pretty phenomenal career, despite, you know, various tragedies and low moments and, you know, these, as he called this, you know, cold streak, I guess, that he was on in show business. So I found that very inspirational at the time. I still do. I'm too lazy to work on this myself, but I did feel like yeah. it's something I should share. That's amazing. I didn't know about that at all, but we will definitely link to that. My trivia stuff is not quite as interesting. One, he played the cat in the hat in the animated TV series. Cat in the hat knows a lot about that. My kids watched that. Uh, that was on from 2010 to 2013. So in 2013, he had a coin made by the Royal Canadian Mint. I don't think it was widely in circulation. I think it was a commemorative coin that was made. It was called Martin Short Presents Canada. So on one side was the Queen, which is always on our money. And I guess the King is now on our money. I haven't seen a new coin or dollar bill with the King, but anyway. The I Queen don't deal in coins, Asif. I have no idea what okay, you're talking about. We also have bills, but anyway... He's all electronic now. Actually, he's all um, Dogecoin now, so, and Bitcoin. No, he's not. Anyway, so he has his coin, and one side of it is the queen. The other side is his summer home, which is in Muskoka, Ontario, on Lake Rosso. So that's kind of what they did to commemorate Martin Short. Interestingly, Ali, the value of the coin was $3. And at first, when I read that, I'm like, okay, this is a typo. Somebody made a joke about this. It's a $3 bill, $3 coin. But that's true. It's what it was. So that's basically it. They made 15,000 of them. That's it. So it's a limited edition. And obviously, people who collect coins would probably be very interested in buying this. Okay, so one more piece of trivia before we get into this article. It's kind of sad, but yet it shows what an amazing person he is, which is Again, we're refuting this article we're about to talk about in a few minutes. So he being Martin Short was on the Today Show and Kathy Lee Gifford, this was about 2012 or so he was on the show and Kathy Lee Gifford asked him in an interview, you and Nancy have got one of the greatest marriages of anybody in show business. How many years is it for you guys? And he says, oh, it's 36 years. And she asked why they were still so madly in love. And he said, oh, I'm because I'm cute. And then they kind of moved along. His wife had been dead for several years when she asked this question. Yeah. When you frame it that way, people might be like, had he lost his mind and he thought she was still alive? No, he was quite aware that she had passed away. It's a really great story about yeah. Martin Short, because also he's very capable of being the guy who goes, you know, it's tough to love a corpse, but I do my best. Like he could do that. He's very like sharp and like, you know, razor tongued or whatever, you know, silver tongued devil. I don't know what you want to call it. razor wit, but yeah, that's kind of him to do it. He even got an apology from Kathy Lee afterwards and he accepted the apology saying on live television, people make mistakes. There's no ill will intended. Who says that in this day? I mean, this is fantastic. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sad error and he was totally gracious about it and understands, you know, he doesn't call for the cancellation of Kathy Lee Gifford. He's just not that kind of person. So I think, like I said, this kind of segues into this article and why I think it's so ridiculous. So we can hear the bile in your I, mouth. No. So you actually sent this to me a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. I'm like, what is this? So basically 
It's an article in Slate magazine, and it is entitled Why We Keep Putting Up with Martin Short. And the author's premise is, I know that I'm not the only one who finds Ed Grimley, one of Martin Short's characters, and Martin Short in general, unbelievably annoying. The author states that he finds Martin Short's whole shtick exhausting, sweaty, and desperately unfunny. And, well... Let's leave it at that. I don't even want to talk about this author's name. I don't want to give him any more publicity because I think so little of him. But what did you think, Ali, when you read this? Uh, you heard the headline, and then you read the article. Well, I think I can't think of too many things that were uh, quite as gross as this as far as articles about a particular... You know, we've recently talked about Hassan Minhaj as well, what felt like maybe a hit piece and this and that, and there was something to it. This was really quite gross. And I, you know, let me just illustrate this best by, I pulled up the article here and he starts with an introduction. As you said, Asif, he's asking, I know I'm not the only one he's saying. And, you know, when asked about, do people like him or, or not like him, Martin Short said in an interview, you're never going to win certain people over. All I can say is if I had dinner with them, I'd probably be bored. That's the only thing I can say back to those bastards. And then this Arthur says, I am one of those bastards. I find his whole shtick exhausting sweat, right? Then he goes on in that same first chunk to talk about what's funniest about Martin Short, I believe, is that despite this exhibitionist stage presence, it seems that in real life, he's mostly a calm, well-adjusted guy, friend to many, loving husband and father. If he had dinner with me, perhaps he would be bored but I bet I would find him a lovely gent. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are you doing here? So. And then goes, but really, I'd ask him at the end of the meal, why are you being like this? And then there's those three asterisks to suggest we're starting the article for real. But I mean, we're, it's, we're talking about like a less than an inch gap. And he goes, Short grew up in Hamilton, Ontario, endured some terrible tragedies before he even reached adulthood. His oldest brother died in a car accident when Short was 12. By the time he's, he's 20, both his parents had gotten mm -hmm. sick and died. What kind of piece of garbage human being goes from, why are you being like this, to the saddest part of his life without any kind of palate cleanser of any kind? I mean, I just... Even if I could have kept the openness of open minds, it was gone right there. I was like, oh, you're an absolutely gross person. I think, you know, Ali implied that this is some clickbait garbage. And who's the editor who's looking at this? Because, again, yeah, what I does mean, that I implied that to you in a phone call, us, if not oh, on I'm sorry, this, you didn't say that on air. Sorry. No, I haven't said it on air, but I still will. I'll imply that publicly. I'll say it right out loud. <laughs> Just say it straight out. Yeah, Ali thinks it's clickbait garbage. So, because who is the editor who's looking at this, right? Like, this doesn't make any sense. How is your opinion of his humor relevant to his tragedy that happened in his family? He goes on to some of the other things in his life. Because then for the next, I don't know, three or four paragraphs, it's talking about his life and his early career. Everything that we kind of just talked about. Yeah, but what? But how does that inform your opinion that he's just not funny? Like, why would you just focus on his characters i mean he gets to that eventually i don't know it's all very bizarre it's all very bizarre and bizarre i think is the kindest way to describe it but i i think in the world of gross is somewhere where it really lives and and the best part about this article of course was the you know really what i feel like was a unanimous 
showing of support and love for for Martin Short, from Mark Hamill to Ben Stiller to some people were very, you know, very succinct. I think Ben Stiller was particularly succinct. He was just like, he's very funny. End of story. Right. He's a comedic genius. End of story. That's the whole tweet. And other people were like, they went into some, some more detail. Many people were like, man, I heard there's this article going around. I'm not even going to read it. I wouldn't even waste my time doing that. I know him. He's fantastic. So, so much love came out for this guy. So much that I was like, oh, maybe it was almost worth it. You know, at least Martin Short doesn't have to walk around even thinking about this guy because he was, it was sort of proved that he was a, a nobody with a really hot garbage take. You know? Yeah. And again, we talked about Hassan Minaj a few weeks ago, and we said, you should read that article. You, the listener, should read it because it's very well-written, very interesting article. You could say that's a hit piece, but that author backs it up with evidence for what they were, you know, criticizing Hassan Minaj about. This is like, there's nothing here. It's not worth reading. And when Ali first told me about the article, so I hadn't read it. He's like, what about this controversy with Martin Short and this article? I said, well, I got to read it. I thought it was like he did something horrible to somebody. Maybe there's some sexual impropriety that's coming, obviously, a lot with the Me Too movement. No, it's nothing like this. This guy just doesn't like his humor. Okay. The worst part about this is this author is like saying, basically, everybody knows. Everybody knows that Martin Short isn't funny. Everybody agrees with me. No one agrees with you. You're ridiculous. Well, I don't know. He says, I, I know there's people out there who agree with me. But yeah, the tone of Why the, do we keep putting up with Martin Short? Exactly. Why do you? Like, oh, because the reason why you don't say, why do I keep putting up with Martin Short is because nobody cares about what you think. Yeah. The only other time I have found a take that was uh, so poorly received and so quickly rebutted and with so much fervor and confusion and anger... There's a guy named Tom Nichols. Can't remember what he does, but anyway, he wrote about this uh, after the fact. But he put he put out a tweet. Some people may know this tweet. Somebody had asked. First of all, they were like, "What is your you know controversial opinion about food?" And uh, he said, "Okay." He takes the bait and he goes, "I think Indian food is terrible, and we pretend it isn't." So this reminds me of this guy. If you say, I think Martin Short is terrible, it's great. We can ignore it. But don't do the we thing. Don't don't put lump us in your, you're a loser. We have nothing to do with you. That's what this guy did. I think food is terrible. That's fine. That's your take. Who knows what's going on in your mouth? We pretend it isn't really, really irked a lot of people. So even like Padma Lakshmi weighed in. Do you not have taste buds? She's asking prominent, you know, attorneys and authors. One guy just unfollow and people just ripped him apart. Some people were like, I want to know where you've been eating. Other people are just like, you know, saying that there's a darker motives behind this. This is like the history of uh, colonialism and oppression in one tweet. I mean, it was crazy, the response. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a bit much, but I get where they're coming from. Yeah. He tried to say it with a little bit of tongue in cheek sense of humor, but nobody took it as such. That's the only time I felt anything. I was definitely reminded of that mm-hmm. as I read this. But yeah, both of them are morons. What do you want? I mean, why don't we instead, you and I, talk about, I, I think we both agree Martin Short is a comedic genius. Why don't we talk about, each pick a couple of our favorite performances from Martin Short? Yeah, sounds or good. characters or bits, maybe? 
Yep. Well, I go first since it was my idea. Do it. Most of mine are from, so it's interesting. A lot of his characters actually originated in SCTV and then he migrated them to uh, Saturday Night Live. I couldn't believe it when I looked it up. He was only on SNL for one season. One season. It's one of the craziest things. It's one of the 84 craziest. to 85. I think it was the first year I started watching Siren Live. I think I've told the story before. My sister and I would stay up. So it's about 10 years old when this came out. I loved it so much. And I thought his characters were so funny. So I'll pick two from there and one from elsewhere. So <laughs> Jackie Rogers Jr., who's like an albino kind of singer. There was also Jackie Rogers Sr., who I believe he also played, who was mauled to death by a mountain lion during a comeback special. I mean, it's just such a crazy character. You know, it's ridiculous. Ed Grimley is one of my favorite characters of all time from SNL. I think just so funny, a lot of physical humor, just a great, great character. And then the one I like that's more recent is Jiminy Glick, who is this like interviewer who interviews celebrities and basically he just makes fun of the celebrities to their faces when he's interviewing them and mm. just go pull up i was laughing out loud watching some of these last night on youtube just go pull some of them up so funny and you know this is how you know martin short is funny because he interviews kurt russell larry david jerry seinfeld ricky gervais and they can't hold their laughter. They can't even keep it together when they're being interviewed by him. And then you watch the more recent Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis, where he's kind of dismissive and rude, which is also brilliant. But it's clearly, you know, informed by Jiminy Glick. Like, that is who invented this kind of, these ridiculous interviews with celebrities. Anyway, r really funny stuff. So those will be my... It's kind of ironic he's had two talk shows that didn't last. One, just a few episodes, one, maybe a full season. Mm -hmm. But in character, I kind of want to say he could be more himself in character and be funnier, mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. maybe people are like, oh, we don't want an earnest yes, that's Martin right, Short. Maybe. We want characters. That's who we got to know and love from the beginning, right? As soon as mm -hmm. we knew him, it was always characters. What about you? I would say, I can't believe you didn't mention the synchronized swimmers. <laughs> that is like, only years later did I realize that was Harry Shearer and it was like Christopher Guest was part of that too. Yeah, it was like the choreographer for them. Yeah, and this is like the, you know, those two guys, Christopher Guest in particular, like Spinal Tap and, you know, oh my God, what's the show about the show dogs? Um, Best in show. Best in show. <laughs> show dogs. And a bunch of other stuff. It's all worth watching. It's all so, so well done. And it's got this same or similar cast anyway, of in incredible Hollywood pedigree. Very, very wonderful actors. And that sketch was ridiculous. I was like, how do you do this? This is like, how can you not laugh? I honestly was baffled by how funny and, and ridiculous it was. But he plays this very stupid guy who's... <laughs> not a strong swimmer, quote unquote, uh, who's part of a synchronized swimming team. And, but it's just so, it done so earnestly, you know, like in the mockumentary style, which I didn't understand in the mid eighties mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Cause I mean, this was right after Spinal Tap came out, Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer were kind of recruited to, to SNL. Yeah. So funny. Amazing. Yeah. He also, I felt like you know, Chevy Chase and Steve Martin were major heavyweights at the time. And the three of them were the three amigos together. Oh, yeah, of course. And I remember thinking even at the time, oh, I wonder if Martin Short will be able to roll with this. But old Nettie Niederlander did a really good job. And I, I enjoyed it 
a lot. And it really gave me some, you know, some feeling that like, ah, this guy's fantastic and he can, he can keep up with the best of them. I also liked something many years ago. And to be honest, I haven't watched it in a long time and I have to go back before I can, but this is like another film. And then I'm going to mention one of my favorite roles recently, but the three fugitives, you remember three fugitives? It was with Nick Nolte. No. So it's like a Gerard Depardieu movie from France, Les Fugitives, I guess. And it's like, you know, one of these classics. And then uh, Nick Nolte and Martin Short. So Nick Nolte is like a bank robber and he gets taken hostage by Martin Short's character, who's an, an, another bank robber who's coming in, I think, to rob the same bank. And so they take Nick Nolte hostage, but he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, I remember this being very, very entertaining. James Earl Jones, Alan Ruck. Wow, yeah, okay. I, I don't know. Wor- worth looking back into, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. sure of it. And the same guy who directed the French one, Francis Weber, also directed this Three Fugitives one. Yeah, I'm going to say, look into it. I believe it'll be good. But then, you know, more recently, even though it's not really that recent, his role of Uncle Jack in Arrested Development now, IMDb yeah. says one episode. I think it was more than that. There's I think no he was on more than one, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was three episodes. But some of the lines from that, you can go to, there's an arrested development, you know, fandom.com wiki, and they do, they have the transcripts of all the episodes. And if there was ever a rabbit hole that I would go down and just lose like a half a day in, more than any YouTube, more than it's arrested development scripts. And I almost got lost uh, yesterday as I was looking at some of his lines when he just goes release and like his bodyguard throws him. It's the most obscene character. I can't, I can't even believe it. It's somebody, you know, whoever created that character, I can't imagine they did it for anybody other than Martin Short. He does, does it Mm -hmm. so well. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I totally agree. Two more ones I'll mention just before we go. I know I said I only had three, but then I thought just thought two more. I thought when you were talking about an early movie with Martin Short, Three Amigos, Three Fugitives, as you said, I like Inner Space. I thought Inner Space was a great movie. You know, maybe it doesn't hold up, but I loved it back in the day. Inner Space, Dennis Quaid plays like an army guy who gets shrunk down. It's like Fantastic Voyage and accidentally gets injected into Martin Short's body. Oh, so yeah. you have all the physical comedy with Martin Short and then, you know, Dennis Quaid trying to escape from being trapped in his body. Meg Ryan is in it. That's where Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan first met. So that kind of, I still love that movie. And of course, we can't forget about Only Murders in the Building. We've talked about it before on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, it is just a great performance. Again, I just don't understand this article. It's laugh out loud funny with Martin Short's lines. And even if he didn't write them, if he, he he's maybe, I know he improvs a lot of his lines, but even if he's just saying them, the way he says it, he's a comedic actor. It's his funny line. So his character, Oliver Putnam, in Only Murders in the Building, again, fantastic. Not as good as Uncle Jack, but fantastic. So anyway. Remember when he's looking, he's looking at Lindsay and he's like, Lucille, why you look younger than you did the day I, no, you old fool, I'm Lucille. Like the chaos in the room and he's like, swoop me and then throw me on this guy. And then he throws him on Buster and then he goes, look at that. I pinned him. I pinned the army man. It's really like the chaos they have some clips of it on youtube so people should check that out please check that out
right. So the reason we bring up colonoscopies today is because we should have brought it up from episode one. I mean, colonoscopies are always something worth discussing, but the real reason we're bringing it up is there is a connection with Martin Short. He and Steve Martin and Tom Hanks have colonoscopy parties and they're as messy as you can imagine. No, they're not. They go to the doctor. But it's like a party. They make it like, it's, it's kind of like a date, you know? It's like date date afternoon, date night. They go for lunch afterwards or, you know, enjoy each other's company. They But they make it a thing where they can go together, which I really like because I don't know anyone who's like, can't wait to get my colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. You, need, you need reasons to go and you need reasons to incentivize going to a colonoscopy. And what better reason going with your friends and, and having a good laugh after it's done? Now, yeah. Asif, you have had a colonoscopy. Yes. And, and by the way, just so you know, I don't have parties. And also, so what? we're clear, like Steve Martin, Tom Hanks, and Martin Short, they like get together, play poker, I think, watch movies. And then, of course, they're taking the laxatives that you have to take for a colonoscopy, which we'll talk about in a second. And they just eat jello. That's it, because that's all you can eat. And then the next day, the, I think they each go to their own doctors and have the procedure done. I don't oh, think that's the way doctor less comes fun. to the place and they all are in the same room or something weird like that. No, that's so yeah. Oh, that's way less fun than I thought it was. All right, still. So still, yes, yeah, cool. so I have had one, so I thought it would be good talk people through it about what it's all about and yeah. You had one for particular reasons or was it an age thing? Let's talk about what is the reason to get a colonoscopy? What are you looking for in there? Yeah, yeah. So well, most people have it, you know, if they have a family history of colon cancer or polyps, it's recommended. But if you have like... Uh, before what age? Is there an age around that if it's in your... So genes? usually it's after age 50 that you should be screened, but it's going to be earlier if you have a family history, right? But why you also would have it if you had blood in your stool or like a change in your bowel habits or say you have abdominal pain that, you know, you don't know the cause for like, or, or having like constant constipation or diarrhea, like, which is, you know, abnormal for you personally, then you'd want to look into that because some people may have something, uh, which again, we can talk about in a future episode, like colitis, like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, you know, maybe you need to look into that if, if that's a possibility, what we call inflammatory bowel disease. Some people just will have a low blood count, so anemia, right? And one cause of anemia is you could be losing blood through your digestive tract and your stool. So that's one reason. Uh, So because of that, that's part of the investigations for unexplained anemia. And again, like we said, the screening for polyps, colon cancer. We did a whole episode on colon cancer before, but we're talking about the colonoscopy aspect of the screening. Okay, so what does the procedure entail? A a prostate exam is what is known as a digital exam. We've talked about that on this show, meaning using a finger. Colonoscopy, obviously, you're going further into the body. So um, what is it, a a full arm? Yeah, the one you're talking about is a prostate, but full arm, oh my God. No, this uses a camera, a flexible scope camera. So they can take, they can visually take a look at it. And the advantage of this, instead of just being a picture, like say an x-ray or MRI, this you can look with a camera, but if you need to take a sample or a biopsy or even remove a polyp, you can do that and send that for analysis. Or if you see some bleeding, you can try and cauterize the bleeding and stop the bleeding, right? That'll be another indication for doing a colonoscopy. 
Okay, you have to excuse the ignorance on this question, but like you're going to a, a fairly, you know, depending on the body, a fairly congested place, I imagine. Like, mm -hmm. how does that camera continue to have a view in there? Do you right. know what I mean? You ever get a exactly. piece of lettuce just covering your view? And <laughs> so let me talk about the procedure first, and then we'll talk about what the prep is, because that's ah, the whole point. Ah, that's where the prep, okay. okay. Yeah, so the procedure basically, like you go in, like all... I don't mind telling people what happens. So you kind of go in, do this prep beforehand, which I'll, uh, we'll get into. And you go in and, you know, you change into a hospital gown. You lie on your side because that's the easiest way to access. And then almost always they give you a medicine to put you to sleep. You're not completely asleep, but you probably won't remember the procedure for most of it. Oh, wow. So they'll give you a what's called a conscious sedation. You lie down and it takes about 30 to 45 minutes and then you wake up. Now, I actually woke up during my colonoscopy, which is not that big of a deal. And I do recommend, by the way, sedation for people because as Ali was getting at, you know, you, you have to actually insert air into the colon to get it to, you know, expand so you can get a good view of everything. Right? If everything's collapsed down, you can't see that well. And of course, there's a light on the camera because there's no lights in your body. So it has to, you have to do all these things. So you have to inject air, you have the light on the camera, and then they, they look around. So yeah, I was awake during it, but I mean, it didn't hurt or anything because I, they had given me the, the, the pain meds. And it is kind of strange to be in that position with a colonoscopy, you know, probe inserted and you're just having a chat and they're like, oh, hey, you're a doctor. Let's show you what we can see here. And, <laughs> and the guy goes, I'm not a doctor. And you're like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Who let you in this room? Yeah. Do tell me this. How long are we talking about? How far into the body is it going? How long? Yeah. Is so going? good question. Yeah. So, okay. Let's imagine your colon as being an upside down U. Okay. So if we're looking at an upside down U and you're facing the U, the right part is what's called the descending colon and it descends and goes all the way out through the rectum, which is the last part of the colon before the anus. Okay, so now if you can think about, okay, well, if that's what the anus is in the rectum. So the colonoscopy starts there, goes all the way up. And has to curl downwards to make Yeah, horizontal side of the U. Then it goes across. That's the transverse colon. Then it goes back down the other way. So, but because food is going out, you know, a certain way. So it goes ascending colon, transverse, distal colon, rectum and that anus. So, so that's basically, how, but of course they're going in the reverse order because they're starting at the end, right? So yes. And then to do a, a perfectly good colonoscopy, you have to look at all those spots and you get to an area called the cecum, which is the juncture where the small intestine turns into the large intestine. So. And you can't go further than that? That's where you You, you could, but that's not really indicated or done in these patients because of some of the complications involved. So, okay, let's talk about the prep then. You were going to mention how does one prep for this the day before? Yeah, so you'll get an information sheet before for this. And several days before the procedure, you have to refrain from eating things that are not going to be easily digested. So a lot of things that we recommend to eat to help with your digestion we don't want to do before a colonoscopy because when you think about eating things with say lots of fiber and vegetables and stuff like that, but so a lot of those things are not digested that well and they come through your intestines and then you're through your colon, which is good because that's having things with lots of fiber and vegetables and fruits that's cleaning out 
your bowels, right? And preventing constipation. So that's good, right? But in this case, you don't because as Ali said, you don't want to end up, you know, looking at a leaf of lettuce or a bunch of seeds or nuts. So no nuts, no seeds, no whole grain products. And they have a whole list of things you can, cannot eat in preparation for the Jello you them. alluded to earlier. So Jello's right. The all clear on Jello. What else? Yeah. So twenty four hours beforehand, you're really just supposed to have what are called clear fluids. So clear fluids is any fluid that you can look and and see through. So again, water is obviously fine. Most types of Gatorade juices are okay as long as again they're clear. So orange juice doesn't count, right? Because it's not transparent but like apple juice would be okay and so then for foods you'd have to pick foods that are actually liquids in a solid form so jello's one popsicles would be another soup like a broth type soup but not a cream soup right so that's basically what you'd have to have like some people i know they'll buy like thai soup to get some flavor but they strain out all the good stuff in it so you just get the Thai broth and then you and then you eat that. So you know it's not ideal. It's 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 fine. I mean, are you hungry? Yeah, it's okay. I didn't really find it that bad. Like it's just not the eating that's the problem. Oh, you have to avoid red food coloring too, right? Because that could look like blood, and then you would be making an error, think something's blood when it's just the residual. So that's not the only issue though, because that's just what you're eating, but you also have to get rid of everything in your bowels. So you have to use a laxative to basically cause diarrhea, like watery diarrhea. That's what you need to do in order to get rid of everything. So there's different things you can use, but most times you're prescribed something called PEG, which is polyethylene glycol. It's the most cost-effective, still the one that's used the most. Sometimes More cost-effective need... than a couple of tacos at Taco Bell? Huh? Take that, Taco Bell. Yeah. So you need to drink this. You need to drink. So I had to drink four liters, I think, of this. So you mix it with water. It comes as an electrolyte solution. You mix it with water. So the jug that you use, it's like a huge container. It tastes better if you refrigerate it so you drink it cold you can also sometimes add like crystal light or some sort of you know sweetener to it but again you have to avoid the things that are red food coloring and basically you take it it tells you when to take it beforehand you usually start the day before and sometimes you have to get up in the middle of the night to take a dose and you go to the bathroom a lot i would say for me, at least every hour, <laughs> like wow. at least once it starts working. Yeah. So it's like, again, it's not ideal. Well, it's like you have a, an imposed gastroenteritis. Exactly. That's basically what you're doing. You're creating watery diarrhea by taking this, This it's like an insoluble medication that you're taking. So that is coming, coming out. So, but it's, you know, it's not ideal. I don't love it, but you know, you're doing this every couple of years. It's, it's fine. Bit weird if you did. I don't love it. Feels like a real redundant statement there, but okay. So what about risks? I imagine there are some risks with the procedure, but I got to assume that they are far outweighed by the risks of getting colon cancer. And, and yeah. is that the only thing you're looking for when you do a colonoscopy, is it just colon cancer or are there other things that you can No, find? definitely other things like we said. You could be screening for inflammatory bowel disease, bleeding, colitis, you know. So you're looking for a bunch of different things. Yeah, so you're right in the sense that you have to balance the risks and benefits. What are you looking for? What are you trying to rule out? How do you balance that with the potential risks? I mean, the simple things are like 
afterwards you're super tired, right? And because you just had sedation, you can't drive yourself home. You need to get someone to pick you up, drive you home. So you have some, maybe some mild bleeding afterwards. That's not a big deal. Of course, remember they oh, just really? inserted very mild, like a, it's not an issue. And then they did some biopsies or which I'll tell you about from my personal experience in a second, or they did some polyp removals. You could have a bit more bleeding, but for me, it was minimal. And of course, like this isn't really a side effect, but you can just imagine they put a bunch of gas in there. So gas has to come out. go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll be passing gas for a while as well, which is again normal and fine and it's funny the nurses are like no we want you to do it go ahead <laughs> like you know oh, and wow. when you're recovering because you have to right like you got to get rid of this air so anyway that's all fine but there are potential the biggest risk is you know if it's possible either maybe when they're doing a biopsy or maybe when they're doing a polyp removal or just in general you could puncture the bowel which is serious and you may have bleeding and you may need a blood transfusion. You may need surgery. If you're at a colonoscopy center, they may need to transfer you to a hospital to have surgery if they puncture it. So that's not good. Is a low risk. They say about one in 1,750 cases. So it's not impossible, but it's not nothing. It's not nothing. So, you know, you need to think about that as a possibility. Okay. So who should get a colonoscopy. We haven't even talked about that yet. Is this across genders, across age groups, or generally from what I understood, it's over 50. And I thought there was more of a sort of a male leaning towards it. Is there any truth to that? That is a bit more for colon cancer. But for this, they do recommend people start screening essentially over age 50. Depends where you live in terms of the exact guidelines, but around age 50 is when you should start screening. Now, if you have a first-degree relative diagnosed with colon cancer or adenomas, so polyps, younger than age 60, or if you have multiple first-degree relatives, then you should undergo screening maybe at age 40, or at 10 years younger than the earliest familial diagnosis, and then have repeat colonoscopies every three to five years. Your doctor will tell you how often they think they should do it. But that's certainly the people who have a family history of colon cancer. I think a lot of people would say you should just go to colonoscopy for that. But the question is for the person who has average risk, so no family history, and actually that's like myself, by the way, you, went, you got yours before 50, but that was not, you were not that concerned was just, about it. That was just because I was getting close and that's basically it. So average risk, what should you do? And this is where we talked a bit about this in the colon cancer episode, because people might be a bit confused because in the US, basically they're a colonoscopy nation, right? That's what they do. That's why Martin Short, Steve Martin, Tom Hanks go for these colonoscopies every couple of years. The frequency you do that after age 50 depends on your personal history and what they've seen in the past, what, you know, your family history, et cetera. So your doctor can talk to you about that. But in Canada, they don't use that. They do this fecal occult blood test where they check your poop, essentially, your stool, for blood. And if that's positive, then they may repeat that or they may you may be sent for colonoscopy within a short period of time afterwards. So it's very interesting to read why people do that. And I'll get into my personal story in a second and we can sort of talk about that. But the real reason why there's different practices is because in 
Canada, they, they just don't feel there's enough evidence in terms of a proper randomized controlled trial, in terms of looking at the stool testing versus colonoscopy, you know, a trial looking at the risks of the procedure. Obviously, the colonoscopy would probably have more risks because it has that risk of perforation where the stool test wouldn't. And your risk of detecting colon cancer, having more severe colon cancer, dying of colon cancer versus, you know, when you look at the screening from one to the other. So because there's insufficient evidence, the Canadian guidelines, and again, I'm oversimplifying things quite a bit, suggest doing the blood test because we don't have the evidence to say one or the other. So, you know, they're erring on the side of doing the test that appears to be equivalent and maybe has less risks, but the U.S. doesn't do that. And so I'll link to an article where it actually has some U.S. people commenting on why they think Canadians, you know, made this decision. So it is interesting because they're looking at kind of externally. Yeah. Asif, I don't know if our listeners were this ready to get this far up in your colon today, but why don't you tell people about what was found when you got your colonoscopy done? Yeah. And so this is, yeah, this is why I want to talk about it actually, because I was super surprised. So Remember, we talked about the different parts of the colon, right? We talked about the one that's the part that's closest to the rectum and anus. That's the descending colon. Then the one that goes across the top, that top part. Transverse. Of the blue, transverse. Good one. See, I'll actually the only remember. Thing I and then the other one is ascending. the ascending. Right. So colonoscopy looked fine. So I, I talked to the surgeon afterwards. So the person, who, by the way, does it is usually a gastroenterologist or a surgeon who does. So mine have to be a surgeon. Super great guy. He's like, yeah, we found two polyps in your ascending colon. So in other words, the part of the colon is the very far away from the rectum, right? And they were precancerous. In other words, what he said was, if you say didn't go for the screening and never got this done, you would have developed colon cancer from these lesions yeah. in like 10 years. So I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So he's like, it's a good thing that you came in and decided to do this. So how are the polyps treated then? What do you do for them? That's a second procedure? No, they were taken off immediately at the time of the thing. So he's like, yep, I think I got them all. As in removed them completely. And the pathology from when they looked at the polyps underneath the microscope, that looked fine. So he said, no, in a couple of years, come back. I'll do it again. Make sure there's no other polyps. Make sure everything's good. But so far, you're good. So... That was a bit shocking to me because I don't have a history of colon cancer or polyps in my family. And of course, if you notice that, his recommendation was that first degree relatives of mine should also be screened. So then you have to tell your family, like, you know, anybody who's over 40 who's my first degree relative should be screened as well. So it was a bit surprising. And what he said to me, and I don't know, honestly, I don't know the evidence about this. I'm just, you know, I'm just trusting his experience. His point is these lesions were on the ascending colon, the furthest point away from your rectum. So the chance of them having some bleeding and that bleeding travels all the way down, you know, transverse, then the descending, then to the rectum, and then being picked up on a fecal blood test is very unlikely. So he says, in other words, I bet his opinion for what he saw from me, these would not have been picked up and I would have just screened negative you know, and I would have done that once, probably at age 50, maybe not done again for quite some time. And he's like, and then you would have had colon cancer. But he, he said, you saved your life coming in. So it's good that you did. And I'm like, wow, okay. So that's kind of a heavy thing to hear. 
Now, we talk about anecdotes aren't evidence. Just because I had this doesn't mean that, you know, it means it's the right thing for everybody. And it's certainly not saying that the Canadian government should change their viewpoints or anything like that. But I will say the people who do colonoscopies, they argue the problem is you're not just screening for colon cancer. When you do it, you're screening for polyps that could turn into colon cancer. And the difference between just doing the fecal blood test and the colonoscopy is the colonoscopy is a investigation and a treatment, which is kind of the first thing we talked about, right? It looks to see if there's something there, but if you do see a polyp, you can do something immediately about it instead of just screening for it, then going for a colonoscopy. And he says, if you're removing these polyps, then you're preventing colon cancer, which is a lot different than screening for colon cancer. So that's kind of, I'm summarizing a bit here, the argument that they make in the US about it. And there are some, I'll I'll link to this, which is kind of a opinion piece by some gastroenterologists and surgeons in Canada, where they basically say that places that actually do screening more with colonoscopy than these other tests have lower rates of colon cancer. And they're saying that's because you're preventing it because you're removing all these polyps that you find. So, I don't know. It is an interesting debate to have. I don't think if you, Ali, or one of our listeners said, and you're over 50 and you went to your doctor, you said, you know, I prefer to have a colonoscopy rather than a fecal test. Fecal test. I think most family doctors would refer you and most gastroenterologists and general surgeons would see you. So, again, I think a better way to look at this, though, maybe is any kind of screening is better than no screening. So what I'm telling people is don't ignore this after age 50 for sure. And definitely if you have a family history, then you should see your doctor, talk about the different options, but just doing nothing, I don't think is a good idea. And like I said, I could only base my concern off my experience where I didn't you know, have any family history. I really had no reason to worry about this, but that's just because colon cancer is very common in the world. everyone so that is our show for today let us know what you guys thought very curious to hear what you guys thought about martin short like i said don't even read that article unless you want to like really annoy yourself but let us know your favorite martin short characters bits sketches do we miss anything and let us know what you thought about colonoscopy again it is somewhat controversial because there are different recommendations depending where you live but at the very least like i said Get yourself screened if you're of the screening age or you have a family history. There's nothing wrong with having more information. And then your doctor can kind of guide you about what they think is most appropriate for you. Ali, anything to mention going on in October, November? I'll be in Kelowna. We'll be doing a CBC Radio Laugh Out Loud comedy recording in Kelowna on Friday, October 27th. And then I'll be in Winnipeg in mid-November at the gas station Art Center, I believe it is, the gas station theater. People can look that up if you're in Winnipeg. Imagine if you're just going to be at a random gas station. That's good. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, if I get a rental car, I might be there too. But this is the Art Center. The state, the, uh, it's a great theater. I'm going to do a recording there. And besides that, plugging away at Run the Burbs so that it is available in January. But also worth mentioning that the sort of is going to come out in November season three, and it is the final season of the show, sadly. Mm, Okay, great. Definitely two of my favorite shows on television right now, not just because you're in them. 
But remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye. 